What exactly are we celebrating today on Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday? Are we celebrating a holiday? We have to celebrate a little different, but it's just a holiday we're remembering. Is it traditions that we're remembering or celebrating? We can't really do many of those with the current situation. Are we celebrating or remembering an event? Well, yes, but it's more than a historical date, gloriously more. Today, we are really celebrating hope, the hope of the resurrection. And friends, this is a time that we need hope. Everywhere on the news or social media, it seems like everything is bad news. It makes everything seem hopeless. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about that we need to ignore or downplay the reality of how serious the situation is. Now, I'm talking about hope in the midst of trying times. I'm talking about hope that we can have even in the middle of this, the worst or at least the most impactful health crisis in living memory. That's the kind of hope we're celebrating today. The story of Christ's resurrection that we celebrate every year has a message for our world today. And that message is that there is hope in the resurrection. There is hope. I would encourage you, if you're able, or just watch the screen in a second, we're going to be reading in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. We also sell, send out a little outline that is sermon notes, so if you'd like to receive that, be sure to email the church and we'll send a copy of that to you. You should also find it on the church website. But we're in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. I'm going to read our passage from the English Standard Version. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for this Resurrection Sunday. A chance we have to celebrate the hope that we have in your resurrection, the hope that we have of victory, and how we can live in that hope every day. Thank you that that is only possible through the person and work of your Son, Jesus Christ. This day, among every day, may He be our focus. May He increase. Lord, I pray that our time this morning may fill us with hope. Not false hope, not foolish hope, but hope that is based on You, on Your Word, and on the resurrection of Your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in His name that I pray. Amen. If you're watching this, I'm assuming that you have at least heard of the Easter story or the story of the resurrection. If you've been watching this service, you should have just seen a video of someone reading from the Bible where that story happens. But if you're not familiar with it, let me give you the super short Cliff Notes, Spark Notes version. Earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's one of the best descriptions of the Gospel, the good news of Jesus, that I think we could find. The good news of Jesus Christ is that God loves us, But our sin, our rebellion, the things we do against God that do not please Him, they separate us from Him. He's perfect. He's holy. There's nothing wrong in Him at all. But our sin separates us from Him. To fix this problem, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. He lived a perfect life, obeyed everything that God said, and then He died unjustly on a cross. By dying that way, he paid the penalty for our sin. He paid the price that was needed to restore our relationship with God. As the passage we just read says, he was buried, and then on the third day, he rose again. And that's what we're celebrating this morning, that resurrection. That's the good news, that that has happened. And if we then turn away from our sin and believe in Jesus, trust that what he has done is enough to restore us to God, then we can know God, have a relationship with him. That's all because of, yes, his death, but that life comes to us because of his resurrection. In the chapter we're looking at, 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul, an important voice in the early church, he's spending some time really thinking through what does the resurrection mean for Christians? What is its impact? What effect does it have on their lives? And he talks about a lot of things, but at the very end of the chapter is what we read. And he's telling us what does the resurrection mean in the end? And first, it means that we have hope. We have the hope of the resurrection. Starting in verse 50, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. He tells them that their flesh and blood, their physical bodies, life in the here and now is subject to decay. It cannot go into heaven the way it is. 
It reminds us of our own mortality, our own weakness. As I'm sure we can all attest, we know that we will grow old. As we grow old, our bodies wear down. There's less that we can do. Our bodies are perishable. They experience corruption. What we need is something imperishable, something that is in corruption, that's unable to be corrupted, unable to age, unable to be distorted. The body we have right now does not enter the life to come, but a renewed, a restored body. Both the living and the dead must be changed. We cannot experience God's reign and rule on earth that will come when Christ returns. We we cannot experience that as we are. Something has to change. We must be given bodies that will last, that will not wear down. We have to be given bodies that will be equipped for eternity. We need resurrected bodies. We need a resurrection that's only possible because of the resurrection Christ had. This will happen to those who have died before and to those who are still alive. It's finishing the change that began in us when we came to know Jesus Christ. If we have a relationship with Christ, something's happened in us. Jesus describes it this way in John 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But what is this hope of being born again that we long for? What is it that will then happen to us? Well, verse 51 tells us, Paul says, Behold, listen, pay attention. I tell you a mystery, a secret, something about the last coming that people could not have figured out on their own, but has now been revealed. At Christ's second coming, we shall not all sleep. We shall not all die. We shall all be changed. Some Christians will be alive on that day when Christ returns. And together, those who are dead and alive will be changed and transformed. We will be given new resurrection bodies. Now we look at something like that and we might wonder, are are we near to that day or are we far from it? Is this calamity we see in the world around us? Is this a sign that this is coming? That we're very close? Well, the The truth is, I don't know. And I really don't think it's helpful to speculate about that. I'm not even going to spend time trying to figure out exactly how what we're reading today fits into God's timeline of things. Christians can debate exactly how that works. That's not my purpose today. The purpose today is to give us hope. However it happens, we will have hope of resurrected bodies when Christ returns. Trying to figure out exactly when he's coming, I would say that's a fool's errand. Here's what we can say for sure. We are nearer to Christ's return than any other Christians have been. And we're closer today than we were yesterday. And tomorrow we'll be closer than we were today. We don't know when it is, but we know that it is coming. We are assured of that. And that should give us hope. That should give us encouragement. It should challenge us, inspire us to persevere in this life. In the end, our bodies will not be subject to death and decay. In the end, they will be changed. In the book of Philippians, Paul describes it this way. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Christians belong to heaven. That's their home. From it, from heaven, we await a Savior, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. We're awaiting Christ's return. What's going to happen then? He says, who will transform, change our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. This change is going to happen quickly, suddenly, in the smallest possible amount of time. Verse 52 tells us, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. It's a beautiful phrase, that twinkling of an eye, the blink of an eye, the time it takes to quickly glance to the side, the least amount of time imaginable. That's how quick the change will happen. It'll be, it'll be signaled by a trumpet. The trumpet will sound. A, a common image of the end times talking about Christ's return. Even in the Old Testament, Zechariah 9.14 says, Then the Lord will appear over them. His arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. This idea of sounding the trumpet, it's festivity, it's triumph, it's a signal for the dead to rise, this resurrection life to come to all those who know God. This will be the last event on earth, at least as we know it. The end of things as they have been. Life will not be the same. It will be better. The crisis that we're in right now may change our lives forever. Life may not look the same on the end of this. The world might not be quite what it was before. But... But this trumpet that we're talking about here, this change that we're talking about today, that will completely change everything. All that is bad, all that is wrong in the world will be gone. And we know that because Christ has been raised from the dead, we can have hope that this will happen to us as well. This is an encouraging vision for us. Because for too long, too long, I'm afraid, we've been comfortable here. We've built com comfortable lives. Things have seemed to go our way. We're used to things going our way. We're used to things happening as we want, according to our schedule and our plans. If nothing else, this time has reminded us how little control we have over what's going on. And we have missed a larger truth. We've enjoyed life here. And now we're not enjoying life here. We don't like this. Ah, but... But friends, this was never our home. Things as they are now are not how they'll continue forever. We have hope of something better to come. If we know Christ, our hope is that we will be raised to a better life than this one. Verse 53 says, This perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When this happens, that'll be the end of corruption, decay, mortality. These things are incompatible with the hereafter. They don't fit with what's going to come when Christ returns. Now that day, we won't grow old. We won't grow sick. We won't suffer. We won't die anymore. He describes it as this perishable body. This, our bodies as we know them, will be changed. They'll not be thrown away and discarded. They'll be changed. They'll be transformed into something new. This is why historically Christians have often buried 
their dead. Because when we bury the dead, we are symbolizing, we're longing for that hope of a resurrection still to come. We're saying as we lower this body into the ground, so someday Christ will raise that body, renewed and full of resurrection life. That body will then, as this says, the perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. We need to put on, we need to clothe, we need to put on another suit, another outfit. We need to put on an immortal, perfect clothing. In the next letter that Paul would write to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 5, 4, he says this, while we are still in this tent, meaning the body we're in right now, we groan, being burdened. Not that we should be unclothed, not that we get rid of this body, but that we should be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. That's some language that Paul will come to a bit later in the passage we're reading today. His hope is that the bodies we have now would be swallowed up completely in life, changed wholly and entirely from the inside out. But note what he also says in that passage. He says, we groan being burdened. Yes, yes, we may be burdened now. But the good news of Easter, the good news of the resurrection, is that Jesus is risen and his resurrection gives us hope. This hope comes from the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. We have hope of victory. That's what Paul talks about in the next couple of verses. In verse 54, he sees this as a fulfillment of Scripture. He says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Here he's quoting Isaiah 25.8, which describes God this way, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. I love this phrase, swallowed up death, swallowed up, overwhelmed, drowned. It's the complete destruction of death and everything connected to it. It's kind of like the image of like in water, a whirlpool sucking in a ship or, or a black hole in space drawing everything into it and destroying everything around it. Earlier in this chapter, Paul's described it this way. In 1 Corinthians 15, 26, he says, the last enemy to be destroyed, to be defeated, is death. It will be swallowed up. Its dominion, its power will be gone at Christ's return. In the book of Hebrews, the author puts it this way. Since therefore the children, believers in God, share in flesh and blood, we have mortal bodies. He himself, God himself, partook, took on the same type of body. He became Jesus Christ. He sent his son. He partook of the same things that through death, by Jesus dying, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Because Jesus came, 
He died for us, and then he was risen to new life. The same can happen to us. We can die to our old way of doing things and become a new creature born again in Christ. That can change our life now, but at Christ's return, it will change even more. What is the result? What does it look like? Well, at his return, we're told in the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things, the old things, have passed away. What a glorious day that will be. I have to confess that I used to not really long for that day. I used to think, you know, things are pretty good here. I, I, I like life here. Things aren't ideal, but but I, I'm enjoying this. And yes, that would be great. That would be better when Christ returns. But, but I'm all right with things are, how things are now. Well, I don't think any of us are all right with how things are now. So may that make us long for that day when he returns and death is defeated and destroyed. That's why Paul then goes on to sing of the victory to come. In verse 55, he says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death. Where is your sting? He's saying something a bit similar to an Old Testament passage in the book of Hosea, chapter 13, verse 14. God says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. That that means the grave. I shall redeem them from death. Oh, death, where are your plagues? Oh, Sheol, where is your sting? So in our text, when Paul says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He's using scriptural language to celebrate the death of death. Death itself, the fact that people die, that's going to die. It's going to go away and be gone. It used to have a sting, like a scorpion or a bee. It used to torture us. Death used to infect our entire, the entire human race. But that won't happen for long. One scholar, Leon Morris, put it this way, Christ has drawn its, that's death, Christ has drawn death's sting, and it is harmless to those who are in him. Now, people still die. People who know Jesus still die, but it's harmless to believers because when a believer in Jesus Christ dies, they're brought into Christ's presence. In the book of Philippians, Paul says this, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He then adds, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. We'll talk more about those verses next week. I hope you join us. We're studying through the book of Philippians, a letter Paul wrote to a church in the city of Philippi that talks about how we can rejoice together, how we can grow together in any and every circumstance. And we'll talk specifically about those verses, that hope that he has to live in Christ, that desire he has to be with Christ, this joy that that thought brings him. But Paul's words there in Philippians or in our passage where he's celebrating that death has been defeated, that really doesn't seem to fit what we're dealing with in the world right now. If we look around us, death looks like it's winning. But the truth is that death is on the losing side. 
A pastor named Albert Barnes put it this way, death is not only at an end, it shall not only cease, but its evils shall be repaired. And a glory and an honor shall encompass the body of man, all of humanity, all those who know Christ. And this glory and honor, such as would have been unknown had there been no death. So take a moment, and I know this is a time of hope we want to celebrate, but just think about how truly terrible death is, the pain it brings into our life, the suffering that we see in the world around us. Think about how many have died, how many are dying, not just of the disease that we see now, but throughout human history, how many millions, billions have died. Think about how many will die, however long until the Lord returns. Death is everywhere. It's terrible. It's, it's awful. It is the worst part about existence here in this world. But then remember these words from, again, Albert Barnes. He says, the time will come when death shall be at an end. And he adds, who can refrain from the language of triumph and from hymns of praise? That's what Paul's doing in our text. Someday, the dead will be raised. In the end, death loses. That's not a projection. That's not a hopeful flattening of the curve. That's reality. Christ wins, and Christians are on his side. What makes death terrible is sin. In the next verse, Paul says, the sting of death is sin. What brings about this death and this suffering is that we have sinned. We've rebelled against God. And the power of this sin, he says, is the law, is God's law. What makes death terrible is our sin. In Romans 6.23, Paul says, for the wages of sin, what we earn from sin is death. When we sin and rebel against God, what we've then earned is death. Our sin is what causes death. That's why we need Christ. If you don't have a relationship with him, the only thing that your sin, the only thing that anything you try to do will earn you is death. You will die someday. You know, that's not happy news. You might not want to hear that. I don't think if I do these things, I won't die. I'm sorry, someday you will. But if we know Christ, our sin is pardoned. It's forgiven. It's been paid for by Jesus. And then that sin cannot harm us in eternity. Now, God's law, his rules, they can be an ally of sin. It gives sin power over our minds. It says, God says this, and we go, but I want to do this. I want to do this other thing. And so if we try to obey God's law on our own without knowing Jesus, it will condemn us. We'll fail. But that's why when Jesus died on our behalf, he created a way for us to know God and to not be condemned by his law. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
This is the hope of victory that we have in the resurrection. Christ has set us free because Christ came and he died. By turning from sin, believing in him, we can have freedom. We can have victory over sin and over eternal death. So yes, sin is powerful, but verse 57 has that amazing word, but, 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 thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ defeats death. Christ defeats sin. Christ defeats the law's condemnation. Romans 6, 9 says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. A little bit later in the book of Galatians, Paul then adds, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Through what Jesus did, that he came, he lived, he died, and he rose from the grave, he has the victory. God alone gets the victory through Christ. He's defeated death. He's defeated our sin and rebellion. That means we don't have to live life enslaved to our desires and to things that we want that drive us every which way. No, we can know God. We can have freedom from sin. At another place in the book of Romans, Romans 6.14, Paul says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under the law, but under grace. And then in chapter 8, he adds, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We can celebrate. We have victory through Jesus Christ. We can participate in that victory now. If we know Christ and have a relationship with Him, we have victory, the hope of victory. We grow throughout our life in defeating this old sin nature. It's never perfectly realized on this side of eternity. We will struggle with sin until we either go home to be with the Lord or until He returns. But we have the ability to do that, to have victory, to find victory over sin in our life. This victory is only possible because of our majestic Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so we have hope in the resurrection. We have victory in Jesus. But what does this mean for today? It feels sometimes like 2020 is like living in a waking nightmare. Why does this hope of resurrection, this hope of victory, what good news does it give us? How does it change what we're doing right now? Well, Christ's resurrection means that we can live in hope. And here Paul tells us how we can be living in hope. In verse 58 he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He starts with therefore. Since this is true, since Christ has risen from the grave, since he gives us victory, we can now have stability, even in the midst of an unstable world. Here is the practical application of the resurrection of Easter. What does Easter, what does the resurrection mean for my life? It means 
I can have stability. Easter's not really a story about a bunny or chocolate, and it's more than a story about something that happened almost 2,000 years ago. Easter, the resurrection, impacts us every day. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, our lives can be different. We can be steadfast. We can be firm. We can be settled. We can be strong. We do not have to be disturbed. We can stand our ground like a statue. He restates it. Be steadfast, immovable, not being pushed aside, resisting temptation. The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter puts it this way, but according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And he says, therefore, since we're waiting for this, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent. Seek to be found by Christ without spot, without blemish, so not being moved into sin, and at peace, being stable and secure. The people Paul is writing to, the Corinthians, they tended to shift their views, but in Christ's victory, we can be stable. We can be steadfast. We can be consistent in our character. We can maintain views. We can maintain our character throughout the trials of life. No matter how things get, bad things get on the outside, we can have the same faith in Christ, the same attitude toward what comes. Friends, do not be shaken by the trials and temptations of life. Christians can continue in this steadfast state because our hope is in Christ who is already one. Now that doesn't mean that we won't have bad days. We won't wrestle with stress or anxiety. I know I have during this time. But this does mean that we can have lasting, steadfast hope. We can resist the temptation to despair. And what this means is that we can abound in the Lord's work. We can give fully. We can serve enthusiastically for God's purposes. We should always be engaged in doing God's will, promoting His glory, advancing His kingdom. We can know Him. We can share about Him. We can serve others and show them Christ's love through our actions. While we have breath, there's always more to do, always more ways that we can grow to be like our Lord. We can abound. We can do it over and over because we know that in the Lord, our labor is not in vain. In the end, Christ wins. Our work is not useless. It will be rewarded. When we're serving God in his kingdom, we are doing an eternal work that lasts forever. Those who are members here know that one of my favorite historical pastors, a man named Charles Spurgeon, and talking about this verse, he put it this way. He said, our work is ended when our eye is closed in death, but our life is not ended with our work. We shall preach no more. We shall no more teach the little children. We shall no more talk with the wayfarer, the sinner about the Savior, but we shall enjoy better things than these, for we shall sit upon our Savior's throne, even as he sits 
upon his father's throne. Our heads shall have crowns to deck them. Our hands shall wave the palm of victory. We shall put on the white robe, the victor's apparel. We shall stand around the throne in triumph. We shall behold and share the glories of the Son of God. Perhaps the Bible says it even better. Revelation 14, 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. If we know Christ, if we have a hope in the resurrection, if we have hope of victory, our work for the Lord lasts forever. Our deeds follow them. That's why I love doing what I do. That's why we as a church love serving others, love encouraging others, talking about the Lord, and seeking how we can love others well. Why we love coming to church together, because we are serving an eternal kingdom, a lasting kingdom. Our work is not in vain. We're serving, longing for a lasting, eternal home. So this is the hope of the resurrection. We can have hope in life that we will be raised to new life. We can have hope in victory that we can defeat sin in our lives through Christ's power. We can live in this hope by being steadfast, immovable, and abounding in the Lord's work. But if you do not know Jesus, if you do not have a personal relationship with him, then then you are hopeless. And I'm sorry, this is a bad time to be hopeless. But let me tell you, friend, you can have hope. You can have hope in Jesus Christ. What we're celebrating today at Easter is that Christ has been raised from the dead. He came, he lived, he died on our behalf, but he didn't stay there. He now has new life. So you too can have new life in him. If you turn away from your sin and rebellion against him, you repent, you turn it aside, you turn your back on it, and you put your faith and trust completely in Jesus Christ, acknowledging he is the only one who can save me, the only one who can change who I am, then you can have hope. The hope of eternal life and the hope of a life of victory now. Not that everything will go your way, but that you will have Christ with you now and you will have him with you for all eternity. This is a time where our world is talking a lot about sickness and death. But the most serious sickness we have is sin because that is what causes all death. And the only solution is faith, trust, belief, in Jesus Christ. I encourage you to reach out to someone who maybe shared this video with you or, or someone that you know who talks about Jesus and about a relationship with him. Ask them how you can have a relationship with Jesus. Or you can reach out to me. You can call the church office. You can email me, jtoon at eshorebaptist.org. And I'd be happy to talk to you about how you can know Jesus Christ. How you can have hope that will last far after Coronavirus is a footnote of history. You can have hope of being with Christ. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus, I know that this time is difficult. I know that it's hard 
and unpleasant. It's weird. It's sad. It's different that we're unable to gather together to celebrate Jesus today. But may that oddness, that that loss, that sense of longing, oh, may it fill us with hope of our resurrection. May it fill us with hope of the day that sin and death will be no more. May we rejoice and long for Christ's return, long to be together again, but long for that day where we never have to leave one another again. Never have to social distance again. We can celebrate together. We will be close to our Lord and Savior. That day is coming. May that knowledge fill you with hope this Easter as you celebrate Christ's resurrection. He has done this for us, and he is worthy of praise. So let me pray, and let us praise him one last time this Easter Sunday. Lord, thank you for the hope of the resurrection. Thank you for the hope of victory it gives us and that we can live in that hope, that you can keep us firm and steadfast in the midst of every storm. God, I pray that you will comfort us in this time of distress and cause us to seek and rely, cling to you, grow closer to you every day. Thank you, Lord, for the salvation you provide. I pray that if someone doesn't know you, they will seek you, seek you in your word, reach out to those who know you. God, may you draw those who do not have a relationship with you into a relationship with you that they may have hope. Thank you, Lord, for the hope of the resurrection, the hope that's in your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.